Amen. Even though we have a membership of some 3,000 plus people, uh, we have a good portion of that that's in service today and different campuses. We want to give a shout out to those that are in the Beachside campus this morning and those that are meeting in Sebastian and our Sebastian campus and those that are meeting in our Southwest campus and our Spanish church and all the children that are next door in the Family Life Center and amen. And then those that are watching by internet this morning, we've got a, about 150 people that watch by internet from all over the world. They're part of the First Pentecostal Church family. Amen. And we're excited that this week our Hands for Healing ministry fed 2,250 people. Isn't that awesome? Amen. We had a meeting uh, on Wednesday with uh, the mayor of the city and with uh, different pastors and principals of schools, public schools here in uh, Bavard County. And they were so complimentary of this church and all of you and the great difference that you are making in this community. Amen. It's an awesome thing for your church to be a lighthouse that is spreading hope and joy to all of those that are familiar, to those that are associated, and we thank you for your continued faithfulness. I want to speak uh, tonight from, or this morning from one verse of scripture, Psalms 119 and verse 75. Some of you uh, are standing and, and some are seated. That's uh, perfectly fine, however you're most comfortable. Sometimes... Uh, we stand to read the text, and um, I think that's good. We honor God, but if you're not able to, that's not a problem. Psalms 119 and verse 75, just one verse of Scripture that I want to read in your hearing. It simply says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. I know that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Now that latter part of that verse caught my attention, and I want to uh, sort of examine that this morning, and we will uh, speak from this subject, the fiery trial of faithfulness. The fiery trial of faithfulness. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Horatio G. Spadford was born in the early 1800s in Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as an attorney and a young businessman. He was very wealthy and was also a very devout Christian. Among his close friends were several evangelists, including the famous Dwight L. Moody, who was also from Chicago. Spadford was married and he had five children, but he lost his only son at a very young age. Not long after that, his wealth evaporated in the wake of the great Chicago fire of 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join and assist evangelist Dwight L. Moody in one of their crusades in Great Britain, Spadford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. But in November of that year, due to unexpected last-minute 
business developments. He had to remain in Chicago, but he went ahead and sent his wife and four daughters on ahead as scheduled. And they went on that French sailing vessel, the SS Villa Duhar. He expected to follow them in a few short days. But on November 22nd, the ship was struck in a storm where heavy fog rolled in by the Lockhearn, an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes and over 200 lives were lost. This was the worst disaster at sea prior to the Titanic going down. Several days later, the survivors, which there was only a handful, they finally landed at Cardiff, Wales, and Miss Spadford, his wife, was one of the survivors, and she cabled through telegram her husband with six ominous words, saved alone, what should I do? They had lost all four daughters. Spadford left immediately to join his wife, and as their vessel approached the area of the ocean thought to be where the ship carrying his daughters had sunk, he asked the captain if he would notify him of where they believed that area was. Of course, this was long before GPS, and so they sort of tried to approximate it by the measuring devices that they had. The captain knocked on his door of his cabin and said, I think we're in the vicinity. And so he went out there and he stood out on that rail of that vessel and looked down on that vast ocean knowing that his four daughters were somewhere out there never to be seen again. He took out some paper and he began to pen these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Clouds shall be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. We know that the Bible says that judgment falls on the just and the unjust. Meaning that even though we are attempting to serve God, we are not exempt from trouble. We understand that. We know that life is not fair and that things do not always happen like we think they should. We've lived long enough to understand that as long as we're on this earth, we're going to be subject to earthly trouble. But I believe this morning that there is another level that is worth examining and exploring. It seems counterintuitive that there would be an affliction that comes with faithfulness. It seems more logical that if you're faithful to God and to His Word that there would be a reward of smooth sailing or at least you would be subject to what everyone else is subject to. What is more difficult to understand 
is the fact that sometimes we are afflicted in our faithfulness when others that are not faithful are not afflicted. Job was faithful. And Job was afflicted in ways that others were not. He was singled out because of his faithfulness. Not because he was a troublemaker. Not because he was sinning. But because he was faithful. Job was not only afflicted, he began to experience the pile-on effect of others when you're in trouble. Have you ever noticed that when you're in trouble, it seems like others will pile on? To that trouble. Job describes this feeling in a very descriptive way in the 30th chapter of the book in the Bible that bears his name. It says in verse 1, but now they that are younger than I have me in derision or ridicule or mockery, whose fathers I must have disdained or dishonored to have set with the dogs of my flock. Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me in whom old age was perished. For want and famine, they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time, desolate and waste, who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys and caves of the earth and in the rocks. Verse 7 of Job Chapter 30 says, among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. And now am I their song, yea, I am their byword. I mean, they now have a song, and their song is the trouble that I'm going through. They abhor me, they flee from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Verse 11 of Job chapter 30 says, Because he hath loosed my cord. <laughs> I've said it three times, keep trying to give them hints. Now Job chapter 30 and verse 11 says, Because he hath loosed my cord. There we go. <laughs> and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle before me. I mean... They're having a heyday with this. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet and they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They come upon me as a wide breaking in the waters, in the destruction. They roll themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind and my welfare passeth away as a cloud. These people were the vagabonds. They were the desperate ones of Job's day. They were vile. They were base. They had a, a difficult existence. But now, Job says, because of my affliction, I have become their song. They get joy in my trouble. That's why National Enquirer sells so many magazines. Because people love to hear about others that are in trouble. Especially those ones that we have in the, in the media that we look at as the royalty of the American culture and, and to see that they're going through a divorce or they're having problems or they found them with an alien or whatever they put on those magazines and they, they sell them by the millions because there's something in human nature that 
enjoys seeing other people in trouble. You say, well, pastor, I don't believe that's true. Well, all you got to do is watch the evening news. They don't report good news. They report bad news. So that all of us can say, did you hear about what happened in Orlando? Did you hear about what happened in Titusville? Did you hear about what happened down in Vero? There's always something that draws us to the calamity of others. Paul describes this phenomenon in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32 when he talks about the pleasure that sin takes in seeing others fall. David knew this feeling too. He was anointed to be the next king. And as soon as he was anointed, the trouble started coming. I mean, you think about it. He probably thought to himself, he was better off when I was just a shepherd boy. Nobody knew who I was. No one else was running for their life from their own king. Nobody else was living as a fugitive in a cave with all that had been done that was David's, you know, you thought it would be a reward. He'd killed a bear, he killed a lion, he killed the giant, the Philistine, he'd brought victory to the camp of Israel. And his reward for all of that was that King Saul wanted to kill him. And so for years he ran for his life. David knew that the neighbors were talking. You know, when they looked over there at Jesse's house, his father, and they knew that he had become a fugitive. He could just hear him. Hey, Jesse, have you heard from David lately? We've heard that he's in some serious trouble. You think that prophet Samuel missed it when he poured all that oil on his head and said he was going to be the next king? He must have been so old he was not thinking straight. Seems like that if God was in this, he would be king already. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, when you go through trouble, others have a tendency to pile on. And question. David knew about the hushed voices and the whispers of explanation from the visitors that came by his father's house because he recorded the famous words in Psalms chapter 25 and verse 2. Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. The prophet Micah said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Now I want you to hang on to that word arise because I think part of understanding this paradox, this dilemma as it were, this oxymoron, I think part of understanding that is that you've got to understand the response you and I must take when even the faithful suffer affliction. It is that small word arise. When we think about Abraham in the Bible, we think about here was a man who was just being faithful. And God says, because of your faithfulness, I want you to take your son. And then he adds these words to sort of put salt in the wounds. Thine only son. Take Isaac up to the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to sacrifice him or Mount Moriah. We're going to put him as a sacrifice before God. And now, here he has to go. And the journey is about three days. And you say, well, that wasn't really a trial of his faith because, you know, when he got to the top of the mountain and the angel stopped the hand with the sword and a ram was in the thickets and he didn't end up losing his son. But ladies and gentlemen, you know as well as I do, it's not the act. 
It's all that leads up to it that can really stress you out. I, I remember in the old days when we used to get paddling at school, and they would tell us, and in the old days, you'd get a paddling at a school, and then you'd get another whipping when you got home. How many of you ever remember those days? Oh, the good old days. They didn't seem like good old days, though, when you were a kid. And they would sell you and say, you know, you're going to have to go to the dean, you know, and, and uh, you're going to have to get three licks. That's what they used to call it. And the actual, you know, hitting with the board or whatever was not that bad, but it was that time leading up to it. Every hour, every class you thought about it, it was that, that leading up to it that just was the unexpected and what's it going to feel like and is it going to hurt and then the time of going home and then the time of wondering and waiting. I, I remember when I was a kid and my father was pastoring this church and the church was obviously much smaller but I, I would come in, you know, like on a Wednesday night with my friends and my dad would say, all right, I want all you kids come up here and sit on the front row because he knew we were, we were going to be a distraction during the service. We'd sit on the front row, you know, and, and we'd get to busy, we'd get talking and all that. And my father... Oh, the good old days when you didn't have to worry about being politically correct. My father would say, son, you're going to get a whipping when you get home. I mean, right from the pulpit. That's why I'm so emotionally scarred as I am today. <laughs> and I'd look up and I'd be like, uh-oh. And then I would immediately start evasive tactics. Like, I would start trying to invite kids from the church over to my house that night to spend the night. Because I learned that they wouldn't whip you as long as there were other kids from the church that were there, that were visiting. So I'd go to my mom and I'd say, can somebody, and they're like, it's Wednesday night, you can't, we got school tomorrow and you can't have friends over. I was like, yeah, but tonight's going to be a great night, we're going to come over, we'll go right to sleep, you know. And all. They knew the gig was up. And it was that long ride home. Nobody was saying anything in the car, and you were just praying that your parents would forget. <laughs> Wasn't the actual spanking, but it was all that led up to it. So we can't say that Abraham didn't experience a fiery trial. Because it was a long journey going to the top of the mountain. And you go through the Old Testament, all of these great iconic men and women of Scripture, they knew this phenomenon of the fiery trial that faithful people would go through. The question that I believe that is before us today is why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does affliction come in the midst of faithfulness? Why was Job chosen? For a very specific trial, I believe that there is an answer in the Word of God. I believe that it is for the purpose of getting a deeper revelation of what God is planning for your life. I know it sounds sort of counterintuitive to think about being chosen for a trial. I mean, who would want to be chosen to go through suffering? But ladies and gentlemen, I don't know, I'm sure you've read about it. There, there are many things that people go through in life that they sign up for and train for and go to school for 
knowing that it's going to be a painful experience. I don't know, you've read about these people that want to become a Navy SEAL. And they, they train for it and they, they sign up for it and they, they try to prepare for it. And finally, after all the selection process, they say, you've been chosen. Awesome. What have you been chosen for? You've been chosen to go through boot camp where we are going to torture you. And you're going to go without sleep and we're going we're to have you run and you're going to do all of this stuff and at any moment that you want out, all you got to do is go and ring the bell and immediately all of the torturing will stop. I call it torture because it's just torture. I know they don't call it torture. They call it training. But have you ever read what they go through? Let them sleep for 10 minutes and wake them up. And then they're on the beach and they got to run with these big heavies and they got to go through the water and then they come back and got to run through the sand and all that. And then no sleep and they're yelling. And the whole time they're yelling and saying, Just ring the bell. You were never meant to be a seal. You're never going to make it. You're weak. They say it's more mental than it is physical. Every day, over and over, sleep deprivation. Everything in your body, everything in your mind, everything saying, Stop, 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 stop. You've been chosen for that process. Why would anyone do that? Because they want the reward. What reward? The reward of that day when they say, you are a Navy SEAL. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that one day there's going to be a reward. And the Lord is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, you're not going to be a Navy SEAL, but you're going to have something much better than that. You're going to spend all of eternity with the Lord. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And even for us that are being faithful, there is a process. But if the enemy could... He would convince you that the only utopia that you'll ever experience is this life. And so if that's true, then the only existence that is a reward for you is an existence that's free of trouble, is an existence that's free of pain. But I've come to tell you that if you're going to make it to heaven, there's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some fiery trial. And it's not reserved for just those that are living in sin. Those that have their judgment, they have it on this earth. But there is some faithful men and women of God that's here on this planet earth in 2060. This is not just reserved for people in the days of the Bible. There are people today that lose loved ones that have been faithful to God. There are people that lose jobs that have been faithful in their giving. But I've come to tell you that our final reward is not in this existence alone David said I know your judgments are right and I know that there's an affliction of the faithful but I shall arise I'm gonna get back up on my feet again well I've read about those guys I don't know why I'm, I guess because I enjoy reading those books but I was reading about those guys that do that Navy SEAL training. 
And I've read these guys, they tell their testimony. They say, we had to make up in our mind that we were not going to quit. That if anybody was going to ring that bell, it was going to be an instructor. Because all I got to do is get back up once again. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care how disoriented I am. I don't care how much of my pain and fatigue and my body and everything that I'm going through. All I've got to do is get back up again and say, I will arise. Ladies and gentlemen, I would to God that every faithful saint of God, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've gone through or what may still be on the horizon for you, you may not understand the trial. You may not understand the test. But I've come to tell you, all you've got to do is have one response. I shall arise. This is not going to be my Waterloo. I'm not going to die on this hill. There is a heaven, hallelujah, and I'm going to make it if I just get up again. Say, why would God do that to the faithful? It's tough love. It's not for the purpose of causing pain. It's for the purpose of and this is important that you get this. It's for the purpose of positioning you in God's divine plan. I said it's for the purpose of positioning you. If you want to be a doctor, you can get all the knowledge. You can, you can go through the eight years of schooling or whatever. But eventually, before they license you, you've got to go through something called residency. You're going to put in about 80 hours a week working in an emergency room somewhere on the backside of South Dakota for hardly any money, dealing with all kinds of things. Why? Because you are being positioned for an honorary title. Oh, my. You say, well, why am I being treated this way? I was faithful in school. I, I made good grades in medical school. Why am I now going through residency? I have been faithful to my education. I've been faithful. Because you know what? They're wanting to see how are you going to react when you have everything going against you and the emergency room fills up and there's one crisis after another. We got to know, can you handle it? I've come to tell you, there's a God that wants to reward you and to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. But he wants to know... Are you going to be able to handle the blessing? Are you going to be able to handle the anointing? I remember when I was, when I was young and I went through a, a short marriage and a divorce early on in my ministry. And when all of that happened, I can remember laying on my floor of my house and praying and say, God, why did I go through this? I, I was faithful. I was a good kid. I didn't smoke drugs and I never drank a sip of alcohol. I didn't go to movies. I was a virgin when I got married. I didn't whoremong around. I was a Bible quizzer. I went to Bible school. I did it the way I was supposed to do it. I was faithful. I don't deserve this. You can look all holy if you want to, but if you've walked with God for any midst of time, you've gone through the same questioning. Why? I followed the word. I followed the principles of God's word. And I remember the Lord speaking to me and saying, it's not over with yet. 
I'm positioning you for a greater anointing. People say, oh, Pastor Myers, I wish I had your anointing. Well, you got to go through the trial to get the anointing. You say, oh, I wish I had your walk with God. You don't get it by just walking through the tulips. There's some lonely days and some lonely moments. But God is positioning you for a higher calling. You gotta just make up in your mind. I will arise. I will arise. I will get back up again. Because God is positioning you for a favorable assignment that will reward you all the days of your life. Or you can just go home and sit on your couch with the masses and watch eight hours of TV a day or spend your time chasing Pokemons around. (laughs) Apparently they have made our church a hot spot for Pokemons. And I thought, well, we're going to have to deal with some kids walking through the bushes. They keep coming around the church walking with their cell phones. Because apparently in this virtual world of Pokemon, you have to come to our church to pick up a Pokemon. Somebody just dropped Pokemons around here. I don't even know how it all works. But I thought, well, there's going to be some kids. It's not kids. It's adults with cars. Day and night. Driving into First Pentecostal Church, you'd think we were having revival. I'm like, what are all these people doing? They drive through the parking lot real slow. They got one hand on the wheel and they got one hand on their cell phone. Where's that Pokemon? Where's that Pokemon? Where, there he is, there he is. No, there he is, there he is. I, saw, I watched one guy Friday. I watched him. He had a, some little blue car. He drove around the parking lot. I guess there are these other churches too. And they dro- he drove around, drove around for 30 minutes. I kept thinking, do these people have jobs? How do so many people have so much time to chase Pokemons? Because we live in a world that is addicted to entertainment. What do you get if you get a Pokemon? I don't know what you get. You get to go to a next level, I guess. (laughs) I want to stand out there with a megaphone. I may do it. I'm still trying to figure out how to capitalize on all this. I want to stand out in the parking lot with a big megaphone. Pokemons are make-believe, but the Holy Ghost is real. I want to shout it from the rooftop. Pokemons will not save you from sin, but Jesus shed his blood for you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the masses if God's going to put me through a fiery trial. He's going to make something beautiful. But so many times we think when we're in the fire that God's forgotten our zip code. We don't realize it's the affliction of the faithful. It's because you've been faithful that you now have the assignment to go to the next level. But before anything of any strength can be formed, it's got to go through the fire. 
the steel, it's got to go through the fire. Because that's where the impurities are burned out. That's where the motives are reshaping in all of our hearts and spirits. It's at that point and place in our time that we realize that what appears to be a punishment is exactly the opposite. It's actually a preparation. God's got something beautiful to you. He's preparing you for something. Now, I know it's not comfortable, but it's God's plan for your life. He's not forsaking you. He has you in the palm of his He's setting you up for an anointing and a revelation. Job found the answer. David found the answer. Micah found the answer. They all found the answer of what the fiery trial of faithfulness was all about. Job said this, though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I'm going to say it again. Though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Ladies and gentlemen, he got a revelation of the resurrection. Though he was staring death in the face. His family had been taken. All of his wealth had been taken. His wife said, why don't you curse God and die? His friends came and stared at him for hours before pronouncing their judgment. And then his body was afflicted and he sat in boils and sores and, and scraped them with a shell. Face and death every day but in that fiery trial of the faithful he said though the skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh I shall see God that's somebody saying I'm going to arise when you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus when he healed people that were sick with a palsy or crippled with disease or blinded eyes Jesus always had the same word for him you know what it was arise Oh, I feel like shouting and preaching to somebody. Just arise. Just come right out of it. You say, how are we going to do that? That's what the Holy Ghost is. The Holy Ghost is a resurrection spirit. God's going to give you a revelation. Hallelujah. You can say, I may lose my family. I may lose my job. I may lose my home. But I'm going to come through it. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I believe that we're coming into a time in the dispensation of grace where God is going to allow you and I to see things and go through things. And we're going to have to dig deep within us and say, my faith is on trial, but I'm going to come through this because I've got the Holy Ghost and I've got a resurrection spirit and I shall arise. Fanny Crosby was born in New York in 1820. She was from a good family. One of her ancestors had been one of the founders of Harvard University. But at six weeks old, her eyes became inflamed, and due to the mishandling of her eyes by a young doctor, she lost her sight. Shortly after this, her father died. Her grandmother would sing songs to her, and they would listen to the birds sing early in the morning. And her grandmother would describe by the sound of the chirping and the singing of that bird what kind of bird it was and what it looked like. And before long, Fanny could tell what kind of bird was singing by the song. She could hear when a new bird showed up because of its melody. She began to memorize scripture at a young age. 
memorizing the entire book of Ruth and Psalms and Proverbs and most of the New Testament. Her mind developed with a precision that was on display with the words that she could quickly put together. She wrote poems that were read before our early presidents and founding fathers. Soon she began to write gospel songs and eventually wrote over 6,000 gospel songs. Many of them the classics that will never be replaced. Songs like, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Near the Cross, Safe in the Arms of God, written by a blind lady. One day she sat down and in just 40 minutes she penned these words, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Danny, you lost your sight. Danny, you're not going to have all the benefits of the other kids. Life has dealt you a cruel blow. She never saw it that way. Something from the inside, something within her soul and spirit just would flood out into melodies and words. She had a perception and a perspective that was unmatched. Heir of salvation. Purchased of God. Born of the Spirit. Washed in the blood. This is my story. Good God Almighty. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. Oh, my friend, I don't know what fiery trial you may be in. And if you look at it through natural eyes, you don't deserve it because you've been faithful. But I've come to tell you today that God is preparing you for things that will blow your mind. Danny Crosby, the blind songwriter, lived to be more than 90 years old, back when the life expectancy was in the 40s. Touched millions of people with her songs and continues to do so. She may have kept her sight and chosen another career and been buried along with the masses, but because she went through a fiery trial, God positioned her for something that has blessed countless millions of people even though her body is in the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is preparing you for is not something that's going to just be confined to your life expectancy. God is preparing you for something that will live beyond you and beyond the lives of your children. It is a fiery trial, but when you come through it, you're going to recognize that God was with me through the whole thing. Daniel didn't deserve to go in the lion's den because he was faithful. And the three Hebrew children didn't deserve to go through the fire. Because they were faithful. But they learned something that every one of us must learn. And that is that God goes with you through the trial. Because the old king looked down and said, didn't we throw three in the fire? And it looks like there's four. And the fourth is like unto the Son of Man. Even old King Nebuchadnezzar got a revelation that when the faithful go through a fire, They don't go through it alone. When King Darius went to roll away that stone, thinking that there would be only the bones of Daniel left and lions licking their chops, 
He looks down the cave. Daniel, are you okay? Daniel says, I am here. The Lord came and closed their mouths. They're all just purring like a bunch of kitty cats. We've had a wonderful night together. King Darius sends a rope down. It's time to arise. It's time to come up out of the pit. You've come through the trial. You've gone through the fire. And now God has prepared you for something that will outlive your own life. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Mm. My God Almighty. Oh, I can feel the Spirit of the Lord working right now in people's lives. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we stand in your house today, a place that's been dedicated to preach your name and to sing the songs of Zion. Faithful people that gather here, Lord, week in and week out. City of refuge. Place of hope in a hopeless world. Lord, it is that because you come here. It's because your favor is here. It's because your spirit is here. Who are we, Lord, that we could come before you in singing and in prayer, bringing all the frailty of our flesh, standing before a holy, righteous God? But Lord, you've extended the scepter. You have made a way where there seemed to be no way. You've given us access into the throne room of grace. So here we are, Lord, once again on this Sunday morning. We stand before you. It would have been easy to be somewhere else today, Lord, but we're in your house. We've come to say, Lord, though we don't understand everything that we're facing, we've just come to say, God, we will arise one more time. Proclaim your great name. We will arise one more time to share the gospel with those that are in need. We will arise one more time, God, and say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. We will arise one more time, Lord, to sing the songs of Zion and to declare the greatness of our God. Because, Lord, you have allowed us to have a revelation through your word, the purpose and the place that you have positioned us. I pray, God, that your people would not be weary in well-doing, that the trials and the struggles of life would not cause us to ring a bell and check out, but rather to arise one more time and say, I will once again come before your throne and I will declare your name in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. I wonder if there's anybody in this building right now you feel like the Lord has sp spoken to you in a very specific way. Well, you don't have to say what it is. But if all of us could be perfectly honest here this morning, we would all have to admit that 
we go through things that we don't always understand why. But I wonder how many of us this morning could simply make a statement by the actions that we take. That Lord, we're not going to quit. We're not going to stop now. We're not going to run out of gas on the final lap. We're going to arise one more time. We're going to step And we're going to go down to that altar. And I'm going to say, Lord, here I am again. Here I am one more time to worship you and to glorify you. Because you've given us, Lord, the air of salvation. I wonder if you would step out from where you're at right now. Would you walk down to this altar? Say, well, pastor, I'm not sure how to handle the things that I'm facing. Oh, this is beautiful. People are coming from all over. I don't know how to properly react. Feels like it's just billows of waves that are just over, overtaking me. I want to tell you that there's a God who wants to give you a power that is a resurrection power that will give you the authority to be able to face all of the struggles of life and to be able to get back up again. It's called the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, if that spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, they beat him, they whipped him, they took his life, put a spear in his side, put him in a cave, rolled a stone in front of it, sealed the stone, and put a Roman guard to guard the rock. But on the third day, he fulfilled what he had told him. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it again. I will arise. That's the same spirit that Jesus Christ had. I will arise. And ladies and gentlemen, Romans said that same spirit that dwell in him can dwell in us. It's going to be that same spirit that one day when Gabriel blows that trumpet and the Bible said the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It's that same resurrection spirit. It's the same spirit that's going to catch us away one day and we're going to meet the Lord in the eastern sky. It's the same spirit that gives us the tenacity and the determination that though I have been beat, though I have been knocked down, I shall arise. I'm going to get back up on my feet again. Oh, hallelujah. That's the Holy Ghost. And it shouldn't be any surprise that when it fell in the upper room, they said it appeared like clothing tongues of fire. Even that resurrection spirit was born in the fire. I said it was born in the fire. If you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, or maybe you have, but you've not experienced that in a while, I believe God wants to put that inside of every one of our hearts today. You say, how do I do that? You just simply begin to worship God. Say, Lord, I will bless your name. 
I know I got a lot of things facing me in just a few moments when I walk out those doors. But for just now, I will worship you with all of my heart. As you begin to lift your hands and lift your voice and worship God, you're going to begin to feel the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. That's that resurrection spirit. That's it. That's that resurrection spirit. As you begin to worship the Lord, in your own words, you begin to feel the Spirit of God come through you right now. Flow through your veins, your muscles, every fiber of your body. Would you do that now all across this building? Those of you that are in the pew, those of you that are in this altar, would you raise your hands now? And would you make this your song? Let it be a song, let it be a song, let it be a song. Come on, I got to sing in the midst of the storm. I got to sing in the midst of the trial. Come on, let your soul cry out before God. Receive you the Holy Ghost. I want to pray the prayer of faith right now by the authority of the Word of God and by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and by the power of the name of Jesus. I receive that resurrection spirit in my life. I will arise. I will arise. Yes, Lord. Oh, that's it. That's the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. Jesus. 